we are, as a church, we are celebrating uh, this year the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. Um, We're kind of highlighting it as we go along this year. October 31st, 1517 is when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Wittenberg uh, Church Castle Door. And uh, we're coming up on that. So we're going to be highlighting it throughout the year. And what we want to do is, we had a movie a couple of weeks ago, and what we're going to do is a book study, uh, just a basic book study on the Reformation, have, uh, How a Monk and a Mallet Changed the World. It's kind of an easy, easy read, uh, small read, but we're going to gather as a church. We're going to be reading this book together and then meeting in March uh, the 20th and 27th, dealing with um, the first few chapters on the 20th and then the 27th. Uh, talking about not only just Martin Luther, but... Um, um, the uh, Zwingli and other people involved, Calvin, Anglicans, Puritans, and then uh, the last chapter, Women in Black 2, T-O-O, the untold story of women in the Reformation. So grab this book, sign up on the kiosk, as Chris, Pastor Chris mentioned. Um, we can get you that book and start reading that book. It's just a way of, of highlighting this year uh, the Reformation. So that's what we're doing. We're in John 17 today. Please open your Bibles there to the Gospel according to John chapter 17. We're reading verses 20 through 26 as we end uh, this chapter together. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. We're reading from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, is our regular uh, diet here of Scripture. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 17, just verses 20 through 26, known as the High Priestly Prayer. Hear the word of the Lord. I do not ask for these only, Jesus talking, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you, know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So that's where we're at, John 17. So kids, you're dismissed for Children's Church, while we finish up chapter 17 together. The Gospel according to John. Final look at chapter 17, just an incredible, exhaustible kind of, we could stay in this chapter for a very long time, but we're going to finish it today in John chapter 17, the last few verses. It goes back to when Jesus says, look at verse 1 with me, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. The words in which Jesus spoke go all the way back to chapter 13. In chapter 13 through 16, we have the teaching of Christ. It's the Passover night. The disciples had gathered together, and Jesus was encouraging them, comforting them, instructing them uh, over and over again, as we have seen. Jesus will soon be in the garden where he would pray. He will wrestle through, as we change next week, we'll look at, start looking at that in chapter 18. He'll wrestle through what is before him. 
in a very short time, the soldiers will come along with the chief priest and some officers and Pharisees. They will arrest him, find him guilty on some trumped up charges, hand him over to be brutally treated and then crucified. And many of those days were very excited about that and celebrating that thinking that they got rid of this pesky itinerant preacher from Galilee. But this was the master plan. This was the, the father's master plan from his beginning or before creation for his glory and our salvation. Time to stop talking is over and Jesus now turns to prayer and his disciples now are just listening. Jesus opens his eyes, uh, lifts his eyes up to heaven. Verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. It's the hour of the cross. It is the hour of his crucifixion. It will be the hour of his uh, death And then, subsequently, three days later, his resurrection from the grave. Forty days later, after many proofs, it'll be his ascension. And then after his ascension, his exaltation, his coronation. Philippians 2, he humbled himself, obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every knee. In heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This eternal plan was from before the creation of the world. And now we see it unfolding here as Jesus prays. Verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for glory. Everything God does ultimately is for his glory. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar, daughters from the ends of the earth, bring them, he says. Everyone is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. We can't add to God's glory, we ascribe him glory, right? We, we can't improve upon it, we reflect it back. We have to display his glory, that's our, why we're here. Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. God created us to know him to enjoy him, to reflect his glory and his supreme value. John Piper writes, God created human beings in his own image that it might be known and enjoyed by them and in that way display the supreme value of his glory that is the beauty of his manifold perfections. And God has not just given us minds to know the glory of God, but hearts to treasure it and enjoy it, end quote. Jesus not only displayed Glory by accomplishing the work the Father gave him to do. But it says in verse 4 and 5 that he is returning back to his infinite glory that he had in the presence of his Father before the world began. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Glorified you on earth. You have work for me to do what ultimately would be the cross. I have done that. I have reflected your glory. I have glorified you. And now, Father, verse 5, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus prays for glory, verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. We looked at that last week. And although it does include us, he tells us that he wants them to be sanctified by the truth. Remember that? Sanctified by the truth and be safe from the evil one. To sanctify means to be set apart. To be set apart from the world, from sin, and to be set and dedicated to God. It is both a one-time event we talked about and a process in which we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. But we saw last week that it's important that the church recognize that being sanctified is also being sent, that that being sanctified and sent. We're not just sanctified, set apart, but we are sent into the world. 
John 17, 18 is a verse, one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Underline that in your Bible. As you sent me into the world, Jesus praying, so I have sent them into the world. That is us. We saw last week that Jesus prays that we don't fall into two camps. Assimilation, just go along with culture with no message of repentance and faith in Christ, that we're not different than, than, than anyone, that we are called to really be out of the world, to, to live differently, to, to use our money and use our power and other things differently because we are children of God. We don't want to assimilate. We don't just go along with the flow. And then we also don't want to isolate. Where as Christians now, we just don't want to talk to anybody. We just, you know, there's sins out there and I don't want to be involved. But the Bible teaches us that we are to be like Jesus, good missionaries, not assimilating to sinful culture, not isolating, but engaging others for the gospel, for the mission. Like Jesus, we engage people and love them. And yet we keep a watchful eye that we don't sin and compromise our sanctification. It's a tension that we must always feel. The problem is sometimes we just want to isolate. It's easier. It's not as messy. We want to assimilate because it's easier. It's not so messy. And yet we are to engage for the gospel. Proclaim Jesus both in good deeds and in word. This last prayer is very special because he's praying for King's Chapel. Jesus is praying for King's Chapel. He's praying for all those who will come to believe in churches throughout history. Amazing, 2,000 years ago. He's not only praying for us, he's dying for us. We are his personal possession, a love gift from the Father, cherished by the Son, empowered by the Spirit, guarded, protected, and someday the church his people will be raised up again. Now, we said in John 17 that there's, it's, it's circular in its prayer. There's th- themes that are over and over again. And so far, we've looked at glory. We looked at protection. We looked at sanctification. We looked at joy, the, the theme of joy, the theme of mission. We looked at all those. And this week, what we're going to look at is the prayer of love and unity. Okay? That's really where we're going at. So we already, like I said, glory, protection, sanctification, joy, mission, now, love and unity. We put them together, we'll, we'll see that it's throughout the prayer, but we're going to stay mostly in verses 20 through 26. So we'll look at the essence of love and, and unity, we'll look at the essentials, and then the expression, what does it look like? So this is all about just love, God's love for us, and the unity of God's people as we, together, live on mission experiencing and understanding and reflecting glory, being protected by the evil one, being sanctified yet sent, living with the joy of Jesus and living on mission, we need to have love and unity. That's what Jesus closes his prayer with. So let's look at the essence of love and unity. Let me make a statement. Christian love, Christian love and unity is a supernatural work of God. Christian love and unity is a supernatural work of God because it originates from the very nature of God, and flows to us when we are in union with God, okay? God's people, by loving and working together, show the world something of the nature of God. Jesus has been teaching us throughout this gospel account, particularly in this upper room, that God is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. We looked at the Trinity in John 14 and John 16. Christians... Orthodox Christianity is adamant in our belief that we are monotheistic. We don't believe in three gods. One God in three persons. We've seen this over and over again, that God is one, revealed in three persons. Now you say, well, the Trinity is not found in the Bible. That's correct. 
It's not a new belief, though. It is just a way of verbalizing the truth of what Scripture reveals to us about the nature of God. To say that God exists as a trinity is to say that there is one God, unified, undivided, essence and being, who exists in three equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Westminster Confession of Faith summarizes it this way. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons, one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, right? Not divided, but existence without difference. One God, distinguished numerically as persons, but equal in essence and nature. And we're being taught in this gospel, and you need to understand that because we're being taught in the gospel that love and unity, that we live in love and unity, is working together because it's an outflow of the nature of God. So God's people should be loving one another and unified together because we are in union with him. Okay, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me press that a little bit deeper. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father speaks. Do you remember? The clouds open up and God speaks. He spoke at Jesus' baptism and he speaks again. He said this, This is my beloved, loved, loved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus says over and over, I only say and I only do what the Father tells me and what the Father says and shows me what to do. John 5, 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise for, because the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Father loves the son. And this is important. You have to understand in Jesus' context, in his prayer, it includes the work of the spirit. Okay? Moments before this prayer, while Jesus is teaching in the upper room, he prays and, he, and he, excuse me, he teaches disciples about the love and the work of God the Spirit. We looked at that in John 14. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we, Father and Son, will come to him and make our home with him. He goes on to say, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. The world don't know him. Because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he will dwell with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He will bring to remembrance, the Spirit of God will bring to remembrance all that Jesus said, and he will glorify him. That's what Jesus teaches. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit now is is given and brings us into intimate union with the Father and the Son. So when Jesus prays his prayer... Like I in them and them in me, he's talking about the Spirit of God bringing us into union. So the Spirit is present here. Like, you know, you hear that when you're a little kid. You're like, you know, Jesus lives in my heart. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Jesus in your heart, Jesus lives in my heart. Well, not really, right? We don't have little Jesuses walking around. It's the Holy Spirit that comes, and it's his job, his function, his work to bring us into union with the living God. So when you hear the next few verses, think Father, Son, and Spirit, okay? indwelling, who brings us into union. The Spirit brings us to union of love and, and, and unity with the Father and Son. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only. 
Okay, so everything from 6 to 19 really does incorporate us. I, I prayed, and now I'm at verse 20. I'm praying for the disciples. I'm not asking only for them, but all those, that's us, who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be even one as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, again, we see that in verse 21 and 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. And he adds, love them even as you loved me. Do you see? He prays for oneness, but not just simply oneness, but the oneness that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have enjoyed together from all eternity. And when we are in union with God, his his very nature living in us, he wants to produce in us this love, this unity within us, within the body of Christ. Like each branch living in union with the vine in chapter 15 is united with all the other branches tapped into or living in the vine, which is Jesus. The fact that love and unity is a supernatural work of God is very important because people are seeking to have both love and unity outside the nature of God. And if we're honest, there's there's not a lot of it. The reason is we're seeking love and unity in the world rather than the result of, of the purposes of God and the presence of God in among us. Love originates with God. That's very important. Right, John tells us, John 4, 1 John 4, God is love, not love is God. Big difference. God is love. Now, we use the word love, we throw that around a lot. We don't really understand it completely, and we talk about different things that we love. Many times we're talking about love, it's very selfish, it's very self-centered. You know, if you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. If you're good to me, I'm good to you. If you love me, I'll love you. What am I getting out of this relationship kind of love, if we're honest? This is not the kind of love that intends, that's not the kind of love that intends to be sacrificial. That's not the kind of love that is not only sacrificial, but serving and, and benefit completely at the benefit of another person, maybe even at my own expense. The very essence of God's love is his eternal commitment To our well-being. And God's love is not only a feeling, it's a decision, a deliberate act of the will. He sent the Son into the world knowing and planning His work of the cross of salvation for our souls. John tells us it was out of the love. It is out of the love the Father showed the Son all that He does. It's out of love that the Son perfectly obeys His Father doing all that his father does. The father loves the son, the son loves the father. I know we can't, it's hard to grasp and completely wrestle through it. I don't think any of us ever come to the complete place where we understand this rich, incomprehensibly rich salvation as, as recipients of God's plan of redemption. But let me tell you, we are not at the center of that. The glory of God is the the love of the Father and the love of the Son, their love for one another. We are the recipients of it. But ultimately, it's about love. Love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father. Unity is another thing that we chase after. 
We call it tolerance. And, you know, we just, you don't want to say anything is wrong or anything is right. No, there's no objective truth. Let's just tolerate one another. And, and tolerance is a good thing at times, right? I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to force anybody. We don't want to, uh, you know, use physical strength to bend people to your, you know, ideology or philosophy. Um, you know, Nazi Germany, that was, that was a, a, you know, a disaster, right? So, but unity... Is not tolerance, people faking trying to get along, but the essence of unity is not uniformity, it's not tolerance. The essence of unity flows from the heart that has been changed, that has come into contact with the union or with the living God. Again, the nature of God is one of perfect unity. There's never an argument. Father, Son, and Spirit don't argue. There's perfect unity within the Godhead. Therefore, biblical love and unity should be marked in this community. It is the way we should relate to each other because it is the very nature of God. And since we're in union with God, we should have love and unity among ourselves. Does that make sense? If we're really living out love and unity, unity and love, it'll be radically different just tolerating one another. Be genuine love, genuine unity. Jesus is praying that the, fa- that the love the Father has for Jesus, his beloved Son, whom he loved before the foundations of the world, and the passion that they had for each other, Father, Son, and Spirit, loving and glorifying each other from all eternity would come to us through Jesus to his followers. That's what he's praying for. In fact, look at verse 21, the Greek word even as, verse 21, even as, you see that? That they all may be one just as or even as the Father is in me. So what he's saying is in, in, this, in, the, in the same way we may be one as they are one. Now, Jesus is not saying that the Father and Son are not in any way distinguishable. We already learned that in the, before the incarnation, John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face with God. And the Word was God. So there, there's distinction, but there's unity. There's union. There's oneness. The Father's in the Son. He does His work. The Son is in the Father. The two are yet one, yet, distinctive, yet distinct. And same thing with us. We're distinct people. But there needs to be oneness. So in other words, love and unity for which Jesus prayed is for us, the people of God, to lead us into a deeper, more fuller experience of the Father and the Son who are loving one another and in union with one another. What Jesus is informing us through this prayer is that God loves those who are Christ to the same degree that he loves Christ and that should transform that should transform us to love one another, to work together because it reflects the very nature of God, his nature of love and unity. That's what Jesus is praying for. C.S. Lewis, many, many of you know C.S. Lewis. He wrote uh, many books, but in Mere Christianity, he calls this loving and glorifying one another a dance. Maybe some of you heard this before. Let me read to you a portion of this book. He says this, God is not a static thing, not even a person singular, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The union between the father and son is such a live concrete thing 
that this union itself is also called a person. The third person is called, in technical terms, the Holy Spirit. The spirit of love is from all eternity a love going on between the Father and the Son. And then he says, what does all that matter? What does this dance, what does this love that glorifying being poured out of one another matter? He says, it matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three personal life is to be played out in each one of us. Or putting another way, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take their place in the dance. This, he says, there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made, end quote. See what C.S. Lewis is saying? C.S. Lewis is saying that our lives apart from Christ is a life that is centered on self and everyone orbits around us. It's non-negotiable. It's what my interests are. It's what, what pleases me, what makes me feel good. And we ask everybody to dance around our orbit. But God is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are characterized by the very essence and nature and mutual unity of loving and glorifying one another. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit do not stand and ask the others who orbit around Him, but rather they are glorifying one another and loving one another. The Trinity teaches us the real meaning of love and unity. God could not be a God of love if not the Trinity. Pouring out in the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means that we are to live in such a way that we love and serve each other selflessly and in unity, loving one another. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the purpose that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Entering the dance. The unity Jesus talks about if lived out authentically and lovingly, would proclaim to the world, would proclaim to the world, Jesus is the God-man sent from heaven, sent to earth to redeem us back to God. The very essence, being of God in us, speaks to the world through loving one another and living in unity because that's the nature of God. Look at the essentials. The essentials. What, what does that mean? What are the things that we are called to? What are the essentials of this love and unity? There are two in this passage. And the first one is the word of God. Look at verse 20. Unity and love around the word of God. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who, what? Will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying to the Father, saying their word. Whose word? The apostle's word. True love and unity can and does exist because God has revealed himself through his word. And Jesus had earlier prayed in verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is what? Truth. So here at Kings, the word of God binds us together in love, unity, truth. It's the final authority for what we believe and the way we live and all the things that we do. In a world that's becoming more and more impulse reactive, whatever feels good, whatever feels right, just do it, more and more disunity will occur. We're seeing it all over. Love and unity, love and unity, can only happen when we have a foundation to rally around, okay? Remember this, family, remember this. When it comes to love and unity in the church, God's people, we don't create unity, 
We don't simply work for unity. We join unity. His name is Jesus. That's how unity happens. But Jesus is saying, Father, I'm praying. I'm praying for everyone that will come into union with me through the teaching of the gospel, through the apostolic writings, through the apostolic doctrinally inspired and written under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, the word of God is the central truth. It's the content. It's the revelation of who God is. And knowing God can only happen through knowing his word. God revealed himself in his word. And battles over the importance of scripture, this fundamental core of the word of God, does not break apart unity. It actually decides where unity starts and where unity begins and where unity gathers through the word of God. You know, it's through the scriptures that we hear and we know that Jesus was sent by the Father. It is through the scriptures that we know that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death. It is through the word of God that we have eyewitnesses of of the empty tomb, the ascension, in Acts chapter 16, as the church is, the, his, the book of history of the church, of the first century anyway, in Acts chapter 16 is a woman named Lydia. And this is what it says about Lydia. Acts sixteen fourteen. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by the Apostle Paul. The gospel was declared based upon divine revelation of God's word and became the contributory means of salvation. Just like Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then when, how will they call it? Unless they've believed. And how are they to believe? Unless they've never heard, unless, unless they hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Binds our hearts together. In the scripture. Second part is not only unity around the word of God, but the work of God. Look at verse 22 again. The glory you have given me, I give to them that they may be one as we are one. What glory is that? It's not the infinite glory of God that Isaiah speaks about that God will give to no one. It's not that glory. He shares that with no one. It is the finite glory that Jesus is talking about mission. He's talking about declaring the gospel, sharing the gospel, and people coming to faith in the gospel. That's the finite glory, not infinite glory, but the finite glory that he shares with us. Back to verse 4. I have glorified you on earth as I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. Jesus gave all his followers glory by completing his mission. And now the church, as we take up on the mission of, of demonstrating the gospel and declaring the gospel, Jesus says you will share in that glory, which has been a hallmark of his. I need you to see this this morning. We just not come to sit. We have been uh, saved to be sent. And now as the church takes on their humble submission, uh, service and suffering on behalf of others, as the church continues to accomplish the work of mission by proclaiming Jesus, his atoning worth, we're united with God in the purposes of his redemption plan. That they may be one as we are one. And we, and we are partakers in a finite way of the glory See, unity and love is the byproduct of following Jesus on mission. Now, let's get practical here for a minute. It's the same way in your homes, right? So if you are married and you have children, 
or you plan on being married and you have children, if there's a different mission and there's a different purpose, you're not going to have unity, right? So if mom's purpose and mission in her home is to have a child-centered home and the father is striving for a career-centered home, There's going to be divisions. There's going to be problems in the arena of love and there will not be unity. But if your home is centered on Jesus and the kids are not worshipped, your career is not worshipped, and you're striving for a Christ-centeredness, there'll be an opportunity in that home to glorify God, right? Unity comes as we work together with Jesus at the center, loving him, walking with him, living in the world, but not being part of the world so that many will come to see that he's been sent into the world. To forgive sin, to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. That's the gospel. We find it in the word of God. We have love and unity. We find it in the work of God as we are living on mission to declare and demonstrate the gospel. Now, unfortunately, and we don't hear too much of it today, but there is some of it. There are those who would abuse and use the idea of unity and say, let's leave scripture, let's leave the mission, and let's just have this embracing one another in this euphoria of just unity. Okay? Do you believe, you know, you know who's the one that died on the cross? Jesus. Oh, we have unity. Well, hold on. Hold on. We have the word of God and we have the work of God. What are we... What are we having unity around? Is it Jesus or is it something that we are making up ourselves? You see, the gospel will at times divide. It did in Jesus' day. It did in Paul's day. It did in the Reformation and it does even today. In fact, it was during the Reformation and reclaiming of the gospel uh, that many have come with the five solas. Maybe you heard them. We're going to do a series on that. In order for you to become right with God, that was the big issue of the Reformation, in order for you to be forgiven, for mankind to be forgiven, justified, made right with God, adopted into his family, the Reformers reclaimed the gospel by saying five things. It is by grace alone, it is by faith alone, it is in Christ alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, and it's for the glory of God alone, the five sola. Sola mean alone or, or in Latin. So if we're going to take away from the work, we're going to take away from the person, the work of Christ, we're going to reject God's grace as a means of salvation, it will cause division. So the battles over the word of God and the mission of God are not battles of love and unity. Really, it's about a battle of life and death. So Jesus says, I want you to be sanctified by the word. The word is truth. You're not of the world. Follow me. You have the word of God. You have the apostolic teaching. Gather around me and my mission, and there'll be love, and there'll be unity. It's so important that the apostle Paul in Galatians 1 calls down curses upon those who preach another gospel. Galatians 1, 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, God, who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, that's the apostolic preaching, 
let him be accursed. As we said before, so I'm saying it again. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be anathema, accursed. That is why it's so important to have the word of God, the work of God, as the essentials for love and unity. But how do we really work that out? What are some of the expressions of that love and unity? What does that look like? Point three. Now, if we're honest, there are some things, okay? There, and I've talked to some of you about this, about denominations and stuff. There are some things that the churches divide over when there should be just distinction, not division. Just distinction, not division, right? There are secondary issues, not core gospel issues, but there are secondary issues of understanding methods on how things are being done in the church. That's why, one of the reasons why we have denominations. I've, I've talked with many of you, and a lot of times, probably you too, you're out talking with people and you find out they go to church, what denomination are you in? They want to, I, I hate when people ask that question, to be honest, because they just want to pigeonhole you, and I'm going to like, well, you've got about 15 minutes, I'm going to explain everything about Jesus first. And then I can tell you where I stand distinctly, I don't mind. But, you know, it's, it's just, once you say something, they pigeonhole you. But anyway, that's getting sidetracked. But anyway, denominations are, are, are not necessarily a bad thing. Actually, they could be a good thing, right? They're brothers and sisters in Christ who love Jesus, love the gospel, love the word, wholeheartedly believe in following him, look at the principles of Scripture and believe that things should be done a certain way in certain methods, and there are others who believe in Jesus, love the Scripture, love the Lord, live on mission, they have love and unity, and they look at the Scripture and say, you know what, I think it should be done this way. We, we have to agree to disagree. That's okay. That's okay. The secondary issues, whether it's understanding the secondary issues of Scripture or the methods in which we carry out our culture in our church. I've said this before, and I, I try to do maybe once a year, once every two years, is our church is one that is closed-hand and open-handed. We have a closed hand, open hand. In a closed hand, we have the primary essentials of the gospel. The virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And the important essentials of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, you can look at that. And open-handed in the sense in which way we do certain things and methods we have. We have open-handed. There's some churches that do things differently. And, and that's Okay. You know, closed hand is, as I said, the scripture. Open hand is, you know, do, do you wear a suit? Do, do you wear jeans? What, what kind of music do you play? And the principles is preach the word. The principles sing melody, you know, make melody and sing to the Lord. But how you do those things, we're open-handed on that. We have preferences. Okay, you should have preferences. Some people come here and they see a band and their preference is something else. That's okay. Some people see me in jeans. A lot of times I wear jeans. They don't like that. That's okay. Mark Driscoll, when he taught on this, I learned something very important I want to share with you. He says, denominations, people who just do things differently but have core beliefs and have unity around Jesus, it's like a nation with states that have boundaries. Right? So, Vermont, they wear suits. Here in Glenmont, we wear a college shirt. That's okay. We're not bombing Vermont. Okay? <laughs> they're, 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 you know... Some people baptize children. Some people baptize only adults. Believers baptize what we believe here. That's okay. That's Connecticut. We're not sending missiles to Connecticut. We just have differences. We have boundaries. That's okay. Some people eschatologically. Some people are pre-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib, post-trib. It all pan out in the end. That's okay. The principle is Jesus comes back bodily and kicks butt and wins. All right, we can gather around that. 
right? It doesn't divide us. We have boundaries. We do things a certain way. There are different cultures and different churches. That's okay. You can still have love and unity. You can still be distinct and still be following Jesus. So it's not, it's not you know, th- but then there are times where people leave like international borders. They're like, they left the, the nation, right? Jesus is not God. Universe change, gone. They're not boundaries, right? Jesus is not God. Or there are multiple ways, many ways, all the paths lead to God. You just left, you just left the international borders. They're gone. You're, you're out there somewhere. We're just talking about core beliefs and doing things and methods differently, and that's okay because unity is not uniformity, Okay? We love everyone because God does. But there are certain boundaries that are crossed, and to be true to Jesus and the Scriptures, we can't cross those boundaries. right? We're not going to bomb Massachusetts because they're using an NIV, and we have ESV. Maybe over the Red Sox, but not Bible translations. (laughs) So we work together for the common goal. It's okay. It's okay. The person and work of Christ, the Scriptures, final authority, Importance of the scriptures, and sometimes, they, sometimes people put certain things in what core beliefs are, and I think there needs to be dialogue. We need to, we need to have dialogue like family, and some people uh, say, you know, this is a core for me to work together. I, I understand that, but there's a lot more that we agree in. There's a lot more of Jesus that we can center around living in the gospel. And Jesus prays at the very end. Look at verse 24 with me. Father... This is, listen, this, this last piece here, the world's going to change, man. I mean, Jesus finishes this, he's arrested. Feel that. This is it. He's going to be beaten and tortured and abandoned. This is it. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me. Where I am, to see my glory, his incalculable worth and value, that you have given me because, why? You love me before the foundations of the world. That's an idiom for eternity. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. That's the person in the character of God. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's Jesus' final prayer. And it's simply this. That you and I here today, this morning, would know, here now, that God deeply loves you. That you and I would know here and now that Jesus was sent as a substitute who dies in our place and for our sins. That Jesus was sent as the sin-bearing sacrifice who would not only die for our salvation but would rise from the dead to bring justification, being made right with God, to wash away our sins, to make us right with the Father, reconciled with God, forgiven, that he would ascend back into glory, back to the Father with the same glory, the infinite glory that he had before the foundations of the world, that you and I would know here today, who's praying for, that if we turn from our sin, we turn from selfishness, we stop trying to be our own lords, our own saviors, trying to justify ourselves, trying to find meaning and purpose in life by chasing after one idol after the other, that in Christ we become children of God, loved by the Father, and that the union with Christ means that he would give us his life, his peace, his joy, his love, his mission, 
If you're not there, listen to the prayer of the Son of God. Come to him who was sent on mission to redeem you, forgive you of your sins, conquer sin, death, and hell on your behalf. Jesus wants you to know him. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants you to know the love of the Father and of the Son and that he has provided a way for you to know him. And that is through the cross, through the hour. Do you know him? Are we gathered around him, church, in love and unity? Because that is the very essence of who God is. And when we have life in his name, when we are united with him, that would flow in us a love for one another, a a union with one another, a unity of mission together so that the world can know that Jesus was sent. Now, I've asked to do communion this morning. The band's gonna play some music and we're gonna confess and repent from sin. Maybe this is the first time and then we're gonna celebrate as a family and partake of the bread and the cup together as a family, we will do so. Because on the night, the night of this prayer, during the final hours, Jesus was crucified. He ate the Passover with his disciples. And Jesus took the bread and he said, I give thanks. And he breaks it. And he gives it to them and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to this table. If you have not made a profession of faith and have not come to him, this table is just for family, but we're glad you're here. We love you. We want to talk with you. We want to minister to you. We want to care up for you. We want to care for you, and we want to love you up and point you, though, to Jesus Christ who can forgive you and reconcile you and give you new life in him. Father, we thank you Father, we thank you for these, these simple tokens as we partake of not-so-simple forgiveness, a forgiveness that requires the death of your, per, your, your precious son in our place, a forgiveness that required his perfect life, which now can be accredited by faith to our account. He died so that we will live. Thank you, Lord. Again, for your steadfast love that never ceases, your mercies upon mercies that never end. May our lives loudly proclaim all that Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection, not only as we celebrate communion in love and unity, but as we live life together outside of this room so that the world may see you and know that you were sent as the Savior of the world. In Jesus' name we pray.